0: Welcome to the Open Nestor's Podcast. How will you write Act 3 of your life? Will you be open?
1: Will you welcome the possibilities? Are you going toward your most vibrant, authentic stage of life?
0: Are you curious to discover what's ahead? Are you in a fork in the road and wondering which path? to follow
1: would you like to hear from others who are already writing act three hey everyone i'm tessa
0: and i'm amir why be an empty nester when you can be an open nester living on the edge of your curiosity on the fringe of your imagination reinvention and sexuality.
1: Together, we'll take a journey and explore how rich this stage of life can be when we approach it with an open mind and an open heart.
0: We have a longer than usual episode today due to the fact that Rosalind Chavo offered a deep and and rich perspective on the many dimension of being human, communicating and navigating transitions, especially in this stage of open nesting. Tessa and I understand that there are a variety of lifestyles, beliefs, and core values. We also realize that our values and beliefs may be different than many others who are listening to this podcast. So no worries. This podcast or we are not trying to convince you or impose our belief system on anyone out there, as each should choose their own lifestyles according to their own core values.
1: I met Dr. Raz, as she likes to be affectionately known by her students as a professor as I was doing my master's in, sexuality, in mindfulness consciousness and did a thesis in sexuality, so I studied her work. She is a health educator, a poet, and a former marriage and family therapist and founded the Institute for Sexuality, Education, and Enlightenment to bring a mind-body-spirit approach into the fields of health education, sex education, and therapy.
0: So let's hear it from Dr. Rosalind Deshavu.
1: Welcome, Roz DeShavo. We are so excited to have you on the Open Nesters podcast. How are you doing this evening?
2: I'm all right. Thank you so much for having me.
1: I said to Roz before, I've been looking forward to this for a while because I did some of my my thesis on the subject of sexuality and mindfulness. And she's an expert in such a broad range of fields as having a doctorate in human sexuality and and an educator and founder of the ISEE which is the Institute for Education Enlightenment Sexuality Education and Enlightenment ISEE. First of all, anything that you'd like to say about where you are personally and what you're seeing in your in in working with therapists at this time of their lives that they work with couples and how the couples respond at this stage of open nesting.
2: Yeah, thank you for asking. So, you know, this is not a new phenomenon, right? people what, sort of having a second awakening or even right. a third awakening. As you, I, I'm interested in what you all have to say about this act three idea. I'm, you know, that sounds really interesting. But the idea that we have an awakening in later life, particularly after children have gone, if there were children right. in, the, in the home, and people have a tendency to sort of look at the rest of their lives. And it, it's often very unconscious, right? We just... We, we have this urge to wake up. We have this urge and probably a lot of it's biology. You know, our biologies are saying, okay, if you, if you, you know, this is your last shot. You know, and then <laughs> some of it is very, you know, Carl Jung, of course, you know, he was the first one to really talk about this midlife crisis, which is an opportunity. You know, we have a tendency to really trivialize the midlife crisis and make it sound like it's some kind of juvenile thing that we just have to get through. And that's not what Jung was talking about, right? Jung was talking about this is a combination of a mortality crisis and an identity crisis. So you're looking at, and if you think about like the, the Chinese uh, symbol for the, word, for the word crisis is a symbol of danger and opportunity together. Really? Those, yes, those two symbols are what crisis is consisting of in Chinese. And I love that because it's true, right? We can rip our whole lives apart. And sometimes our whole lives need ripping apart, you know, or at the very least, some dissecting and moving things around. So not a new concept at all.
1: And And Jung Jung dealt with the shadows, which is what we sometimes deny. And that whole idea that our dark side or or those broken sides that sometimes are awakened are an opportunity. So I love that you started us off on that note, because it's, it's very real.
2: Well, and Jung also talked about no one ever talks about the golden shadow. Right. So the golden shadow were the good things So the the idea of the shadow is that we take certain parts of ourselves and we hide them away because they're considered unacceptable. Right. And generally speaking, we think of them as sort of dark, you know, uh, you know, violent urges or the urge to cheat or all of these things, lying, all these things. And we kind of put them in the side and we say, that's not me. I'm not going to do that.
0: But why are they golden?
2: Well, there's also the golden shadow. So the golden shadow are the things that are actually good about ourselves that we might also put into shadow. So things like, um, I'm awesome. Well, that's not acceptable to run around saying I'm awesome, right? So I, you know, I'm incredibly intelligent. I'm, I'm incredibly sexy. These are things that can be looked down upon if we acknowledge them. And so it's important for us to talk about the golden shadow as well. What is it about you that is amazing? What is it about you that is enlivening? That is extraordinary? That you are putting into shadow so that you don't, you know, threaten other people and you maintain a status quo around you. So these are also important concepts.
0: So it's a form of modesty, humility.
2: Mm. It's the opposite, I think. Um, will... well, God,
0: keeping it in the golden shadow would be a form of humility, and no.
2: Uh, Yeah, it could be or it could just be social conformity. You know, maybe maybe it's not false modesty. Maybe you just acknowledge if I run around talking about this, people are not going to like me. Right. So it could be genuine humility. It could be just "Mm, maybe that's not acceptable.
1: And yet, and yet, if you know, I don't know if you know much of Mama Gina's work, she says to brag, although the women have to <laughs> brag about their pussies, like that's like a huge thing. Yeah. So, so finding our own way of expressing our golden shadows, our shadows, and this stage of life that we're exploring is what we're looking at. So, so the idea that you said it has, I mean, I, I, we discuss it as act three only because the first stage of life is kind of this single or pre-child life for people that have raised children, dating. and then no, mm-hmm. or even married, but raising children is an intense commitment. So mm-hmm. when that lets up, is where I feel like this act three comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, there's act one, there's act two, and then wow, here I am. And so, yeah. you know, what. What are the things that you see with people realizing their authentic sexuality is what we wanted to discuss a lot about and see where, where, and then take it on a journey there. And there are different ways that people go, go towards that. There's erotic blueprints out there with Jaya that's come up with those. And, and, you know, we can look at our sexuality in so many ways and, and look at how to accept even our curiosity around our attraction, whether we've, you know, become societally programmed to only look at one, at the opposite sex, if it's so heteronormative, or if it's, if it could be broadened as far as our eroticism with uh, any kind of kink, or from my point of view, a little more of the Tantra, how can we begin to consider opening up to what our desires come from, I guess we're looking at?
2: Yeah, so such a huge question. One of the things that I like to bring to bring forward as a really strong consideration is, how much this challenges people's identity right now i have a tendency to think of identity as something that is fluid and it is but it is most people do not think of identity as fluid i am and then we have all kinds of answers to that and we think that it stays that way for most of our lives and the truth is it doesn't but if your core identity has been monogamous for instance because you all are talking about open nesting, right? Meaning that we might be talking about opening the relationship, right? As a Correct. possibility, it's, it's, yes. It's right? it's As part of, uh,
0: yeah.
2: Right. So um, let's say my part of my identity is I'm faithful. And what I think of that to mean is I'm monogamous. But then I find myself in this stage of, of life where I'm you know, challenged with all of these awakening feelings. The kids are gone. I get to think about myself again. And uh, all of a sudden, not only does that challenge safety in the relationship, right? Like, what happens if I bring this up to my partner? What are they going to do? What are they going to say? But also just my very identity, right? If my identity has been strongly uh, connected to my monogamy, then I'm not just challenging uh, you know, a behavioral norm. I'm challenging who I think myself to be. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's a very big- Core values, yeah. Uh, core values and also just our self-concepts right right so i think uh people need to start thinking about those self-concepts like okay your value is faithfulness are faithfulness and monogamy the same thing right so we can ask that question is there a way to be faithful to your partners you know can you be faithful to each other while being non-monogamous and of course the answer is yes you're You're going to change the way that you're looking at faithfulness. You're going to change the way you're looking at your agreements
1: and commitment Um, and loyalty. That's exactly.
2: Now, again, that depends. Of course, people have to be on board, right? It can't. Right. Right. right, right.
0: And that's where identity become fluid. I can see that.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, identity is fluid anyway, but we have a tendency. And then what happens a lot of times when people come into these open situations, let's say we decide, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to try this thing. We're going to open up our relationship. And let's say we decide that polyamory is really the big thing for us. We're really going to, we don't like the idea of swinging. We're going to be polyamorous.
1: Which even could be, do you believe that that's emotionally not monogamous as well? If someone decides to form a love relationship that's not sexual, is that right. also polyamorous?
2: So now we have, we we're shifting our identities into this polyamorous identity. And now that could be something big. That's now a part of me that I start running around going, hey, if you don't know that I'm poly, you don't really know who I am, right? Or, oh. and, and, and people who feel that way often describe polyamory as an orientation, right? They'll say, this is my sexual orientation. Now, other people feel that polyamory is more of a behavior, something that you do together. Other people feel it's an orientation. Those people have a tendency to be strongly identified with it. And other people uh, feel, I feel it's a capacity. I don't feel it's an identity um, or I don't feel it has to be an identity. Let's put it that way. I feel it's perfectly acceptable to feel any of these things about um, monogamy, about polyamory, about being a swinger, right? But what happens when people enter into these open arrangements is suddenly, let's say we're suddenly swingers and we hadn't been before. Well, that could suddenly become a huge part of our life right right and we might identify ourselves and say well we're swingers right as opposed to we swing which is a thing that we do right right so it really it there's a lot involved <laughs>
1: right. you know so and, much and, so
2: much yes and if people see it as a behavior that's something that they're doing together there are fewer complications with it quite frankly whereas if they start to feel like it's part of their identity like without this you don't know who I am there are more complications with people integrating that into their lives
0: and they say oh we heard about this poly thing we wonder what what is that what is about swinging we want to know more about it how does one part uh, introduce that to the other partner right <laughs> mm.
2: so one of the one of the best things that people can do first is to read about it Um, there are lots of amazing books out there about polyamory swinging is a whole different deal, right? Very, very different lifestyles uh, and very, very different love styles between polyamory and swinging, right? And then lots right. of uh, lots of room in between.
1: Lots of room in between. I was about to say because lots lots people call themselves between. swally, and then there's and the, <laughs> I, and like I was saying before that some people are defining poly with just emotional because they're more asexual. So it is really uh, it, the the less designated we have in terms of in terms of our labeling ourselves, right. and the more fluidity we. Get, can consider is what i was wondering about identity right so i know in my identity i've i've been able to uncover more of an of a of a desire for kind of conscious energetic orgasms that i can find in my own body in order to share with others which is more in the tantra area right of sexual of my sexuality and another erotic blueprint another erotic theme that i know you know people that are are more essence or kink oriented or fetish oriented and i wanted to discuss those themes a little bit Mm -hmm. because that's an identity i don't know if it's an identity but it's a capacity or things that we can try so i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on on those yeah okay so let me answer
2: the first question first and then get to the core erotic themes
1: okay so the the i i like to give people
2: if people c- were, I'm not doing private practice anymore, let me be clear so that people don't uh, try and contact me around that, because I just don't do it anymore. However, when I was, I worked with a lot of couples and people, right, because it's not just couples, it's groups of people. And, and that's a very important thing that I think people need to know is that polyamory is not about being a couple, unless right. that's the way you want to make it. But it's always going to change very dramatically, from being a couple to being something else that you you didn't expect okay and that's just important for people to know going in but i like to have people if people have not started i'd like to start people with reading read first and then going to some kind of munch which is like a uh, gathering of people or some kind of polyamory informational meetup meetup exactly like a group and to go with whoever you're interested in being uh, open with And having, you know, sort of a how does this work thing? I think starting with books is really helpful because it's less threatening than heading right out into, uh, you know, a group informational session. But it depends on where people are at. Sometimes both people are really gung-ho, they're both interested, and then they can go right to, you know, some kind of meetup. But when people are going to the meetups, they should be clear with each other that we're going for information. As much as we might get excited about this and want to meet right. people and want to maybe we want to go and like, ooh, that person's hot across the room, they may want to make some kind of intention before they go and say, look, we're really as much as we're excited about this, we need to be careful and just say we're just going for information right. first.
0: We're not we're not buying today. We're just looking.
2: That's right, and really <laughs> investigate because it is you know. Once you open that Pandora's box, (laughs) those little suckers do not want to get back in that box. Right. And that's not a bad thing. Right. But it is a thing and it is a very uh, important consideration. So the next thing is what not to do. Right. And of course, a lot of people uh, basically, oh, I have this we have this friend who is attracted to both of us let's go ahead and jump into an experiment with this person and open our relationship that way. That often doesn't work out very well because people haven't researched what can happen. They think, Oh, as long as we talk uh, enough with each other, we can work this out. We're mature right. adults. We're all open. We all decide it's okay what they aren't, but they're not prepared for all of the things that people who have Emotional. been open relationships before have really run across that you weren't expecting. Um, And so I think it's very important to be fully uh, as prepared as you possibly can be. It's kind of like having kids, no matter how much you read eventually, you're never gonna (laughs) understand the depth of it, but you can at least try to prepare
1: and there are risks involved in everything so right. we understanding that this is this is coming out of like opening a pandora's box mm-hmm. and and also this swinging is the same thing and i think some couples want to do everything together so they think that that could be a safer way to do it and that's also taking a risk no matter what we say and and you know we can try to limit boundaries and people have to to decide that for themselves. It takes a lot of higher level communication to decide what are we able to allow for. Mm-hmm. So, right. I mean, we have, where are the struggles in that that you see uh, in, the, in that particular case? I mean, the surprises and then having somebody to speak to about it. Is that important to have a coach or someone to be able to talk to or, or just the group of meetup people enough?
2: Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, I think if you have a good group of meetup people who are long term in you know open situations. And if you don't, you should seek that. Right. Try and find some people who've been doing this long term and are still, you know, successful in their the relationships that they began with. Um, I'm not gonna say primary relationships because not everybody has primary relationships, but I think with open relationships, what happens is there has a tendency, there's a kid in a candy store kind of Uh, mentality sometimes particularly with polyamory where people just want to let everybody and everybody and everybody into their lives all at once and that can be a disaster you know it really can because love is infinite but energy time money effort is not right holidays are not infinite Right. There are only so many holidays. There's only so many people that you can primarily spend your birthday with. Right. All right. of these kinds of things. Right. Who who gets you on your birthday? <laughs> right. You know, um, that
1: beautiful analogy. I love that. Right. You know, yeah.
2: I had a wonderful poly friend who used to say and was one of the most polyamorous people I've ever met, but still said, you you know, as poly as I am, I can still only look into one set of eyes at a time. And I loved that analogy. I so. I think it's that part is important. So a lot of people talk about core erotic themes. I want to talk. I want to give credit where credit is due to where that idea came from. Okay. So Jack Moran wrote a book called The Erotic Mind. Uh, I want to say it was about thirty years ago now, but I I have to check the copyright. Wonderful, wonderful book that you probably have come across.
1: I read that in my studies. Yes.
2: Yeah. Um, and that was where this started, this idea of core erotic themes, because what he did was he did a bunch of research on about 350 people. Now, I have to be clear that I'm not sure. I, it's been a long time since I've read Jack Morin. I, did, I also read that when I was in uh, you know, my doctoral program. And I don't know how representative it was. Was it representative of people of color? Was it representative of people of different gender identities? Was it representative of people of different abilities and ages? I don't know. What I do know is that he did do this survey and when he came across he looked for what really turned people on right and his basic ero- what he called the erotic equation was a combination of attraction plus obstacles equals excitement right so the idea that if you're attracted to someone and then there's some kind of obstacle it heightens the excitement, it turns up the heat. And we've all seen this in rom-coms, right? I mean, this is what every rom-com movie is ever about, is, you know, if they just get together and that's it, there's no heat, right? It's always no like conflict, the right, pursuit absolutely. of something, right? That they can't quite get until the end and then it's supposed to be happy, happily ever after, ha-ha, right?
1: Right, um, exactly.
2: So that was the core erotic equation that Morin found. But also there were four major four cornerstones of eroticism that um Moran talked about and one of them was longing and anticipation right so longing is sort of wishing for something that isn't quite present right and anticipation is knowing something's about to happen and having to wait a little bit or maybe a little bit more now think about that with respect to open relationship right So it could turn up the heat on the existing relationship. If you're if you're a a couple who is opening your relationship, and now all of a sudden you can't, it's not a given that your spouse or your partner is going to be available on Friday night. There's a little bit of an obstacle to that. That could turn up the heat. Right. You know. Has the potential for doing that, right? The longing. You're not here. Oh, I miss you. That can turn up the heat. Right or for that matter anticipating something Sing. new we're going to go to this party together and we're going to you know we're going to do something we've never done the anticipation of that can really turn up the heat
1: and getting getting dressed up yes. in new ways or just just that the the fire in that and and even and and you know not not even knowing exactly what what can happen how we can surprise mm-hmm. ourselves i feel like that's part of that longing uh, for a new sign new days,
2: so that's right. one of them and then the next cornerstone is prohibition, something you're not supposed to do, right? Ooh, swingers come in really hot and heavy here, right? Um a lo- I noticed that a lot of people who like to swing, they like to be naughty. That's the fun for them, right? It's like, "Ooh, we're doing this naughty thing." And I think it's very interesting to watch that happen. Now, that's I'm I'm being I'm generalizing, of course, swingers come in every you know, form. forms, but there's yeah. a lot of that. And it's, and it people have a lot of fun with that um, idea of, Ooh, we're doing something we're not supposed to do. Right. Of course, there are other, you know, core erotic themes in there of prohibition, of like the idea that you're talking about uh, Tessa about it's something we haven't, we haven't been able to do before. Well, dressing up in a feather boa and hardly anything else, that's not something you're normally allowed to do. So all of a sudden, no, you right. get to show up at a party where people can dress or undress as much as they want. That's prohibited. So that's fun. So that's, you know, that's a, that can right. be a core erotic theme, right? Like, or part of that core erotic theme.
0: Or anything that is taboo, yeah. really. Being with another movement, uh, being yes. with another man. That's uh,
2: correct. And that allows right. people to mm-hmm. fully explore their erotic selves while not necessarily having to jump into this hole, it can create identity crises there, right? What happens if I go to a party and I'm with somebody the same sex and I've never done that before or I haven't done it since right. college and I was drunk? You know what I mean? And now all of a sudden I'm not right. drunk and I'm with my, my partner is across the room and this is happening and all of a sudden this is really blowing my mind. That could that could yeah. be an identity crisis for some people. So we have to look at that right. as well. That's another place where people...
0: Yeah, that was one of my question actually. Uh, what happened if somebody is attracted to the opposite, to the same sex, and that would create an identity not only for the individual person, but also for the couple yeah. themselves? Well, oh, you are not attracting to men anymore? Are you just want a woman? Yeah. Or vice versa? Are you just attracted to men anymore? You, How about me? Don't you desire me anymore? So, yeah, that will create a, a, a you know, a conflict for mm-hmm. the couple or, itself.
2: Or, now all of a sudden, you're Female partners got a dildo and they're pegging somebody, you know. Are you okay with that? Because that's kind of a masculine thing to do, at least if if right, if we're looking at it through these traditional lenses, right? We should blow those lenses apart, which is part of what we do, but we if we still were born, you know, we're we're raised with those, right? We're conditioned with those. So are you okay with that? What happens if you want to dominate your partner and they want that and they love that idea, but uh, they also want to dominate other people. Are you okay with that? Right. right? And um, the other piece is something like what happens if, if your, you know, heretofore, you know, incredibly hyper-masculine uh, male partner, all of a sudden wants to wear women's pantyhose and wants to show up at right. your kink party or your swing party cross dress? you know, yeah. is that okay with you? Are you, You know, and you know what? Sometimes it isn't. And that is okay because often allowing ourselves room for the shock of something like that gives people permission to feel shock, feel maybe scared, maybe feel turned off, but then kind of hang with that and go, okay, this is really freaking me out. I don't like seeing my husband or my partner dress like that. And then just relax, take a breath. Kind of get, get a chance to get used to it. And all of a sudden that can become hot, right? Something that you never right. ever would have thought it would turn you on, all of a sudden could turn you on. And again, this is this is the creativity of this open nester idea. This is the creativity of this act three that y'all are are talking about.
0: The ability to change those lenses and look at it That's in a right. different lens.
1: Exactly. And what what you're saying and relax, like just being with it without casting such judgment on ourselves around this whole idea of identity and the capacity to be more fluid or the capacity to be more creative and we've 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 limited who we can yeah. be in that so you're i love the fact that you're helping us really blow open these paradigms in such a way and that's yeah so i'd
2: like to just emphasize this for a minute do you mind if we spend a minute on this because i think it's really of important. course no. please, please. Sure. one of the things i see poly people doing over and over and over again is you know polyamorous communities are often very clear that jealousy exists. It's okay. It's a natural part of being poly. But I don't think that we spend enough time talking about how important it is to acknowledge jealousy when people are polyamorous, because it tends to be shoved very, very deeply into the shadow in the polyamory community. People acknowledge that it's there, but it's almost like it's we're afraid to admit that it's not cool right if we're part of a poly community people become afraid to admit that that's that's not okay and it's not it becomes not deeply examined people shove it into the background partners get threatened by it partners partners get threatened by it metamores get threatened by it but the truth is that if that gets shoved into shadow that gets malignant period end of story That stuff needs to be regularly, get the flashlight out, shine it on the jealousy, take a breath, realize it's okay. And, you know, if you have somebody in front of you who's saying, well, I just never have, I don't have the jealousy bone. I was born without it. Cool. Good for you. You're not any cooler than anybody else. I'm sorry. But- <laughs> You're not, okay. That's not how it right. works. Um, I'm glad you were born without the jealousy bone. That's, that's awesome. And you know what? Most of us were. So. Let's regularly, um, there's actually a jealousy workbook that I recommend for people. I think it's a really great idea is to work on our jealousy on a regular basis. And I think this is true for people in any relationship. Any It doesn't have to be an open relationship, right? But it's on the oh, shelf yes. right here, the jealousy workbook. Actually, um, wonderful. It's by, oh, sorry, Kathy Labriola. So if people want to check that out, L-A-B-R-I-O-L-A but the idea is really really important because it just go people just think that they're going to eventually just get used to it and get less and less jealous and that's just not necessarily no. the case so very important that we that we make it okay for ourselves to be jealous right no matter how yes. we're living right. whether we're living monogamously whether we're living polyamorously whether we're living swinging we have to have that be okay and then breathe into it recognize it talk to partners about it if they're threatened talk to them about the fact that they're threatened and say i'm sorry you're threatened but i really need to be able to talk about this and not shove it into shadow right so right. yay and, and it's
0: not only jealousy of of uh oh you enjoying being with him more than with me it's also you know uh, I, I, we examine our jealousy sometimes i would like to have what Tessa has she has a special relationship and i like i'm not really jealous but i'm envy of the ability to be able to be in that and so engage in that type right. of relationship so it's just not uh just you're infringing on my space you are you know you, you i'm not good enough for you one right. of those jealousy. lots of different kinds of
2: jealousy
1: well jealousy right. shows up in guilt and in shame i mean jealousy is such a huge emotion and Correct. sadness and 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 we hope in some level of what poly, the poly community has kind of coined with yeah. compersion of somehow, even if I'm jealous, I know, know I have this emotion like any other that I have to welcome. And I can still say, but I'm happy for you, just like I would be if I'm jealous that your career is taking off. I mean, jealousy has so many aspects of Correct. it. And compersion so, is an act.
2: You know, we. Right. It's not. It's not just a feeling. An People act. talk about it in the same way that they talk about love, that love is just a feeling. Love is not just a feeling, right? It's a set of actions and it's, you know, it's it's the ability to act in a loving way. And the same thing with compersion. I might be terribly, terribly jealous, but I'm saying go anyway and have a good time. That's compersion, you know. Right. Compersion is not right. all light yes. and rainbows, you know. If I'm saying to my partner, mm-hmm. please go and have a good time, even while I'm eat- eating up with jealousy. And you mean it. And then I go and I deal yeah. with my jealousy. I talk to my partner about my jealousy. That is
1: still compersion. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for all these distinguishing pieces of this. So the third one I think we were on, you talked about longing and, and um, anticipation. As and, the first, uh, and then prohibition. And then prohibition. And now what we're into power the... dynamics. Power dynamics. Oh, <laughs> power dynamics. Right. That's, <laughs> that's the that's third, the third yeah. of the four cornerstones
2: of eroticism, according to Moran. And of course, that's where the kink comes in, Right. Right. Uh, you find a lot of kinky folks who are have different open arrangements and a lot of open folks have, who have different kinky arrangements, right? And I right. think it's one of the places where there's a lot of room for creativity and there has to be a tremendous amount of really good negotiation. Here, Where I found people getting stuck over and over again and where I see people getting stuck over and over again in uh, open relationships is when they... There, there's a there's a wonderful um, opportunity when you're in open relationship to be able to explore sides of yourself that uh, you aren't able to explore with an existing partner. I'm not going to just say a primary partner, but an existing partner, right? So if you don't have an existing partner who wants to sub, sub to you, you could, you know, find that or a particular kind of dominance that you want to that you want to explore or what have you. Right. You could go out there and find that. Here's the negative. It could be that in all of this diversity that you're sort of spreading around, it can sometimes be that the folks in the existing relationships are getting the least hot part of you. Wow. Right? You're going out and you're getting all of this amazing hot sexual connection or power dynamic connection, whatever it is to you. And it's just intense. And sometimes it can be very overwhelming. And then your existing partners kind of feel like, well, I'm not getting the best part of you, right? Like I'm just, you're, you're, you know, all of your hottest, intensest energy is going out to other folks. So that has to be really well attended to. It doesn't mean that that there's always- And you differentiated that from jealousy? Yeah.
0: That's more of an attention? Well- Or just a form of jealousy?
2: I think jealousy accompanies that, but what I'm addressing is not just the jealousy, I, I'm addressing the actual need, deep need for the existing partnerships to be fed in ways that keep them alive, right? right. So if, um, I, you know, I, if I think about it like, well, I, I'm part of a big pie, and over here I have this particular kink with this person and I have this particular type of vanilla, really beautiful relationship with this person. And then I have my primary relationship which is a combination of different things. If most of my more intense energy is going out there, this need, these needs may go unaddressed and right. that relationship may start to starve. Jealousy is, is a symptom of that, a right. symptom, not the problem.
0: Right. You you are talking. You're talking about the deficiency in the existing relationship due right. to the energy is directed to another person, whether it's kink or or polyamorous.
1: That's right. Which is why we've tried to create. Once we became open, we tried. You know, I really made an effort to have us. Have an attention night, not just a date night, but even the middle of the week. We mm-hmm. try to call it Wow Wednesday, no technology. How do we love each other? How do we see each other? How right. do we dance together? And then bringing back that energy. I and mean, if we, one one must do that in order to keep an open relationship, a primary or an existing relationship alive and thriving. Exactly. So, um, yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. So, that's power dynamics.
2: So, power dynamics are, you know, an incredibly great way. Uh, they're, core, right. you know, core erotic. Uh, cornerstone. And of course, it's wonderful in open relationships that people have so many avenues for that, right? So that um, they have all this creative space where they can find what they need. And, um, you know, there are challenges, but there are also great rewards there.
0: Right. And what's the fourth fourth one? one? The fourth corner? The
2: fourth one is overcoming ambivalence, which is kind of a really interesting, um, you know, uh, cornerstone that Morin found, which is, you know, essentially when he did his research, what he found was that there were a very significant number of people who essentially talked about their hottest sexual experiences were people that they felt ambivalent about either love, hate, or attraction and disgust at the same time. And somehow at some point that ambivalence is overcome and, and a sexual connection. Or a passionate connection is all of a sudden there in that overcoming. I don't know how. I don't know how that would would uh, show up know. It manifest
0: itself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for right. that.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm thinking about it as as a as the fourth cornerstone. I mean, I I, I can't imagine that.
1: I can't either. It's interesting that yeah. that's one of the four. That's the four cornerstones.
0: It has the same value as all the others.
1: And because well, if you look I'm not at
2: sure, I'd uh, have to look at it. It might. And have also, been just it was thirty. Themes, it was what? also
1: 30 years ago, and there's been a lot more research done that you can, someone, one can True. look into. Uh, I don't have it handy, but we can actually try to post some of it. I'm interested in it myself. I know that uh, Jaya's erotic blueprints are quite amazing, and one can take a free test to see where they fall in that, if they're more, which is what I tend to find myself with sexuality, more sensually based mm-hmm. in my senses. And so she elaborates on those kind of things in a little different way, and then you can actually... And be I wouldn't call it ambivalent, but you can be fluid in all of them, and you can do, you know fall into some of these other categories that Jack Born talks about. Mm-hmm. So I think I think you know research is a continual thing. Sociol any any sociology is is pretty much qualitative and not quantitative, and it's a it's a limited. I think I mean most sociology is a growing, amazing field, and I love it more than everything. <laughs> but but I we know that it has its limits, and that we can continue to explore how we experience something new. Well, you know, I look
2: at, I look at any, I think people have odd ways of looking at research because we aren't taught to critically understand research itself. And just give me one minute for my little soapbox on this, because it's, it's actually become a problem in general life, which is that we want, we love, and the media in particular, right? They love to put stuff out there that says, well, a study was done that says this. And then all of a sudden, everyone jumps all over that one study not how research works that's not how the gaining of knowledge works that's information there's a difference between information and knowledge and there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom right so information is you have a study it says this the reason I always I'm a big book proponent with my students right I'm like read books don't just read websites don't not read websites read websites too but read books why because someone has taken the time to compile a, a large body of different pieces of research, different pieces of information. And then don't just read that one book, read lots of books, read books that don't agree with that book. Why? Because the more that you do that, the bigger picture you get, and the more you can have a conversation, and the more you can engage with the material in a meaningful way. We, ha- we have a real desire in our country, in our culture in particular, to be right, you know. I have the answer. And part of that is because we're commercial. If I sell you my 10 things that are going to make your marriage hotter, that's, you know, everybody wants 10 things that's going to make their marriage hotter, right? right. That's like the, e- right. but that's not how it works. Right. It doesn't work that way. It works yeah. like, inf- you know. Just add water. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, we don't just add water. That just doesn't, yeah. that just doesn't <laughs> right. happen. It takes time and it takes, but here's what I like to challenge people to do. Instead of trying to leap to the end, the idea of the end goal is that somehow our goal is to be happy. And we, we, we want it. We want a formula that helps us leap to that end goal, right? Instead, we really need to say, how can we enjoy this process? How can we enjoy the dance of what we're doing right now? How can we be happy in what we're doing right now, right? And what is happening right now in this moment, instead of saying, well, once we get our relationship perfect, where you have two partners and I have two partners, then we'll be happy. Um, Once we find the perfect unicorn, we will be happy. Once we find, right? I mean, there is no formula. That's as much pressure as we put
1: on having a child. So that's definitely not a formula for success is adding anything. Right. I mean, and, and yet, and yet it's not going to be perfect. Oh, ever. Right. In our own primary, if that's where we're in. Or existing. And and just that dance that you mentioned is something that I love to talk about because becoming mindful to the fact that it's going to have a mess and it's going to feel emotionally disruptive times is part of where we learn sometimes one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back. There's just no way that it's going to be a climb of wonder you know, we can be in wonder, we can wander, I love all those things, right. and we can try to find those moments, but we certainly can't think that that's what the, is going to help us arrive somewhere. Right. So I really appreciate all of this framing. It's been so useful. Oh, good. <laughs>
2: you know, I like to talk about the expansion. The reason that I, you know, so I don't, I, I want to be clear that I don't argue that polyamory, for instance, is, a, is only a capacity. I think that it is a capacity, is an orientation, is an identity and any way of viewing it is valid right anybody who's living it any way of viewing it is valid however i like to think of it as a capacity because i think that the that the overall value in these things is that they expand us as people and when you expand yourself as a person you often become more interesting to your partner or partners right so, right. you know, when you narrow yourself as a person, you become more interest- less interesting to yourself and perhaps less appealing to a partner because you're getting narrower and narrower and narrow is kind of boring usually, not always, yeah. it depends on who you are, but usually. So the idea and then the other thing is that I might expand my experiences and my capacity for things and then decide that even though I expanded to a balloon of this size, Right. So let's talk about you as a couple. Right.
0: Right.
2: Y'all might expand to a balloon of this size and then decide, okay, we have we were able to do that. But actually, this size is way more comfortable. This is the size that we're
1: in our sweet spot. And that's fine. What a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, Uh,
0: Expanding yourself to your partner is really an issue that comes up uh, with our interviews with other couples that reached that stage of open nesting where they all of a sudden the focus of children and taking care of them and educating them and getting them off to college have gone and now they look at each other and they really have not yet expanded themselves and now they lost that fire they lost that uh Uh, the thread that really keep them together. Your comment about that is very, very valuable to everybody that listens right now. And
1: sometimes to try something, it doesn't have to be sexually, but just coming out of our comfort zones in order to expand, because expanding is the first step, and that comes from curiosity. And also I wanted to say, because I know that I've followed also Esther Perel, and, you know, sometimes we can go in polyamory, or we can go into expanding, or anything other And then decide to come back. It could be a wave, too. Sometimes we think it has to be, now I've done this and I am expanding or contracting this much. But I could actually say, this is a stage in my life where I need all the attention on me. And I think it happens in all kinds of stages, especially as we get older, whether it's caregiving, whether it's a grief that we're going through that you need all the attention. You know, we have to – being being human is the first element Mm -hmm. of anything at this stage of life and expanding our humanity – so I think the expansion is such a great idea and Absolutely. a great way to put it so thank you really. I want to quote two
2: people I'm not going to I'm not going to use their names but the long the person that I have known the longest in my life who has identified as polyamorous this person was using the polyamory back the word polyamory back in the early 90s when almost no one was. Um and I have known this man he's the father of a friend of mine and he's been poly forever. And he said to me, we took a walk on the beach a while back. Uh, I went to I went on vacation and um, he was one of the people that lived in that town. And I hung out with him for an hour or two. And we were talking about polyamory. And he said to me, well, I see polyamory as a strategy. Strategy. First person I ever heard say that. Isn't that interesting? A strategy. And he wasn't saying a strategy necessarily for a marriage. He was saying a strategy for a human being. And he said, it's a strategy. You're trying to get something that you need or that you want. And it is one way that you can live it. And I thought that was fascinating. Now, this is someone who is absolutely committed, you know, to polyamory, right? And so, you know, some folks who are newly poly might find that a little bit challenging or for that matter, folks that are poly for a long time and identify it as an orientation might be like, what do you mean it's a strategy? It's my, it's it's who I am.
0: Right, it sounds well, mechanical. Somebody, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Let's use this strategy to get what I want.
2: Yes, yeah, yes. R- but here's a person looks unpersonal. Right, Just, and yet here's a person who's the longest term polyamorous person I've ever met, who is calling it a strategy. Isn't that interesting? The other thing that I want to say is someone who very, very long term kink, uh, very prominent teacher in kink communities, literally national, nationwide, nationally. You know, I've seen this person present at national kink conferences. And I heard this person say, kink is transitional.
0: Transitional.
2: Yes. And again, if your identity is, I'm a dom, that's who I am, right? Your identity is very important to your identity that that's who you are. You might feel threatened by that description. But again, here's somebody who is, you know, probably going to be always identify as kinky and yet is still saying kink is transitional. And I think what we're really saying here. What we're really saying is what Tessa just said, which is we are human, we are supposed to grow and change, and so if we want to expand for a while and see how that feels, and then see what what where do we want to go within that, we have a you know we have a, the privilege. Let me just say because not everyone does. We know this, right? Not everyone has the privilege of doing this. Right. Not everyone of every class, every gender, every religion, every nationality every race people don't necessarily have the permission to do this but the three of us talking right now we have the privilege of discussing this we live in a, in a society that has the privilege of exploring this but the point is that as humans we have tremendous capacity
0: right so to so explore to, to understand kink is transitional does that mean it doesn't have to be one way or another. I'm not just yes. a dom, I can be a sub at times, or I can choose yeah. other ways to express my kink.
2: Or I could be vanilla. I, I could be, be van- vanilla. Maybe I am really, really happy in a vanilla relationship with person A. Right. While being unbelievably kinky with person B in in a dominant, rela- you know, relationship, in a dominant role, and then being, um, maybe all I want to do is sensation play with person C, right? But maybe next year, person A and person B have flipped. And now I'm being, I'm subbing with this person instead of being a dom or whatever. And that's all okay. And it's all okay. And what happens when people who've been, I'll never forget this, which was also said to me by an incredibly long-term, one of the kinkiest women I've ever met in my life. And she said to me, vanilla is kinky to me now.
1: (laughs) Love wow that. perspective, man. And yes. you know what? I just love how you brought it back to what you said at the very beginning of this interview, which is that the fluidity of who we are is a such a big part of who we are if we allow ourselves to be that. And when we let it, we try to allow ourselves not to sit in judgment Incredible. of ourselves and others right. is when we become all we can be. Right. So I I love that for you coach any for that coach educators like that, coach therapists like this, because this is what really is going to help change the world one one person at a time and and couples and partners and pods and anything you are.
0: Wow. I mean, so, this has been an incredible enlightening, not only to everybody that hears this, but to also to us. I'm like, I mean, wow, we need to talk more. You're
2: going to make me blush, you guys.
0: No, no, we, we, we mean, we it. Really we, mean we, it. We mean it. We mean Thank it you. because we speak to experts, we speak to couples, and we really know when there is a real core value in what you're giving and it's uh, it, it's really appreciated and i know that you have a book oh i have a book out yeah. since 2015
2: yes. and it's not specifically about this at all it's about mm-hmm. receiving but i think um it's called the deep yes the lost art of true receiving and it's available on amazon you can get it on kindle or you can get it in paperback
1: tell us about the book so the book
2: is about how we have no idea how to receive in our culture we if if you ask a room full of people whether they like to give or to receive more or what what they think is better to give or receive, they're almost everyone's going to raise their hand and say, give almost everyone. And in fact, you, it, it, you know, there's this polarization of that concept, which is not not real. And you want to talk Tantra for a second, Tessa? Let's sure. talk about yin and yang, right? Yin and yang are part of the same person. You cannot just give. It doesn't work that way because it's part of the same system, right? So I always talk to people about, you know, we have this, this, this yin yang symbol that people love to throw up on things. And really all it is, is this flat two-dimensional model. And that is not what that, those sets of energies are supposed to look like in a tantric concept in, you know, a tantric uh, context, or for that matter, even in a Buddhist context, because this all came from Chinese medicine, but let's not go that deep. Yin yang. Yang. Give, initiate, forward movement. This is uh, what is traditionally considered masculine. And because we are still a patriarchal in our culture, that is what we value. Give, 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 create, produce, put out, start. We do not value receive and truly receive. Not take, take is yang still. And it's a very uh, negative form of yang. It's not a healthy yang. Receive is you give to me and I go, thank you, right? My body says thank you. I accept touch
1: in a deep way where I'm really receiving it. I accept. It's filled the
0: void right away.
1: Well, it's also the best kind of love because I'm receiving your love. That's right. And I'm open to it in my heart and my body and my senses receive you. And then that's going to be reciprocal in that energy of someone feeling like they want to be receive as well and give more like it becomes such a dance. So I love that you put I need that out. To that that, that we, <laughs> the, we, we, will, we will buy, we will buy the book. Um, uh, that's,
2: yeah. That's, so the whole book is about receiving in an embodied way. Meaning how do you receive your food? How do you receive your sleep? How do you receive love? How do you receive touch? How do you receive nudity? Cause we do talk, I do talk about sex. How do you receive nudity? Meaning beauty, right? How do you receive beauty? How do you receive sex? How do you receive sensuality? And there are chapters on each of these things because what most of us are burnt out and the reason we're burnt out is because we give, 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 and right. we do not take time to receive. And so this is that yin part of the equation. I want to give a little plug for Betty Martin, by the way. If y'all haven't talked to her yet, you probably should. Um, Betty Martin has created a wonderful training and, of course, because I wasn't prepared to talk about this, I cannot remember the name of her model. She has a wonderful model, and I'll 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 get to it in a second. But Betty, actually, when I went through her training, and we... Isn't she the original
1: vagina-touching masturbation woman, or is oh, that different Betty?
2: No, yeah, you're oh. thinking of... Um, oh, okay. She just passed away.
1: Yes, that's what I was thinking um, of. Okay, I'm forgetting her name, too. It's
2: okay. Yeah, this is a uh, menopause for you. <laughs> Sorry about that, <laughs> but I cannot remember. <laughs> awful, awful. Now, But Betty talks about the the taking part, the, the the going out and getting what you want, right? But really, those two things are absolutely a- attached to each other. You cannot pull on one side without the other side happening. So my book starts with the receive, because I find that people are very, very deficient in their ability to receive. And if you start to allow that receiving, then what happens is you're already burnt out. You're dry. You don't have anything left in you. Well, if you receive and receive and receive and receive and receive and receive and receive until you're full, what happens is you automatically spill out. And that's the way that you give in a much more natural manner. You're not giving from a place of scarcity. I'm like, okay, I'll do this thing. I'll do
1: this thing. You're just spilling over. Abundance instead of giving from abundance. That's right. And so
2: it is a much more effortless type of
0: giving. Brilliant. Thank Brilliant.
1: you. Oh, such a, such wisdom for the, for the, for the ages and for us. So thank you. <laughs> well, it was we, lovely we to be, be, be here then.
2: and uh, I've had a really good time. So, and if people are okay. interested in becoming sex educators, counselors, and therapists, of course they can go to instituteforsexuality.com sexuality.com. Cause I know that that was the other thing that you asked me to talk yes. about. And that's, that's yeah, my, that's our Institute.
0: Re- repeat the website again.
2: Institute for sexuality.com. That's our Got Institute it. for training professionals.
1: Wonderful. Fabulous. Okay. We've had a wonderful time with you and we look forward to being able to stay in touch because you've given us so much to think about. Oh,
2: great. Thanks. You too. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. you. Bye,
1: Roz.
0: Very powerful. Very, very informative. And we're so lucky to have Roslyn. Tessa, you want to close with a few things because I would like very much to keep this podcast under an hour.
1: I ended up getting Roz's book and loved reading it and I know you're about to too. The Deep Yes and really The Lost Art of True Receiving talks about something that Brene Brown meant one of my favorites talks about vulnerability. And as we come to this stage Roz discusses in her book that the more we know someone and commit our lives to someone the more vulnerability we have but that energy can wear off which is what happens when we're open nesters. And we have to realize that We need to surrender. We hadn't surrendered as deeply, and we and we want to receive again. And that receiving is what's so interesting, so that we can come back to our love talks and even to the bedroom with such fresh eyes. So she's given us all so much to think about. And if you want to read more, I really advise you to get her book. So, with that, we hope you will tune into future episodes of the Open Nesters. Yeah. Follow us on all the social medias, the Open Nesters. And our website, of course.
0: And our website, it is theopennesters.com. That's double N in the middle, S at the end, theopennesters.com.
1: Join our discussion on our private Facebook group on The Open Nesters as well.
0: And till next time, I'm Amir.
1: And I'm Tessa.
0: And we will see you on the radio.
1: Ciao.